0: Today we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper at the end of the service after the sermon. So if you have children that are going to Kids on the Rock and you want to keep them with you, if they're believers and have been uh, professed that publicly in baptism, you may want to keep them with you. If not, the rest of you children can go to Kids on the Rock and we uh, we will get rolling. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn with me to... 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and as you're turning there, um, food pantry folks wanted me to let you know that there is several boxes of produce and vegetables that weren't, uh, weren't, were left over yesterday, and all those are out by the annex. If you want any of that produce or vegetables, you uh, um, go and avail yourself of that right after service. They're uh, free, so just go pick them up. Today, as you can see, we're in 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to take a break from our exposition of Acts. We've only got two chapters left in Acts, and we'll be, we'll be done with the book of Acts. But we're going to take a break from that exposition to observe the Lord's Supper. Here, here at this church, we observe the Lord's Supper um, uh, every fifth Sunday, as well as Christmas and Easter. But it's been quite a while since we took the time to focus Um, ourselves on the meaning and the intent and the purpose and the reason why we do these things the reason why it was given to the church and the reason why it's still an ordinance of the church the lord's supper and baptism is uh, the two ordinances of the church to be practiced until jesus returns so it's important for us to stop and to take time to to really understand what we're doing and why we're doing it and to do so as god's word instructs us jesus instituted Um, the Lord's Supper, Communion, um, He instituted it as He and the disciples were gathered in the upper room to celebrate the Passover meal. It was on the night that He was betrayed, on the night that He was arrested. And it was during that Passover meal that Jesus took the bread and the cup and He reinterpreted their meaning. No longer would they be a meal commemorating the Exodus uh, coming from out of Egypt, but would Inaugurate and commemorate now the new covenant fulfilled in Christ's blood in his death and resurrection, he was about to accomplish. So, the instituting of the Lord's Supper, you know, it's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, but the fullest explanation of it is given in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 by Paul to the Corinthian church. Now here Paul is addressing the Corinthians because of their misuse of the Lord's Supper, because of their abuse of it, because their mishandling of it. And um, he is going to, as he does that, he's going to give them and consequently us principles about what the lord's supper is and how we must observe it how the church must do so so let's read this text in its entirety and then we'll pray and ask god to bless our time together and we'll take it apart one piece at a time sound good okay sounds good to me too says first corinthians 11 starting in verse 17 but in the following instructions i do not commend you because when you come together it is not for the better but for the worse Houses to eat and drink in? Or, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For, because I receive from the Lord... Whoever, therefore, because of these things, whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and, have, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. God, we thank you for your word. God, help us to take this, um, this passage apart piece by piece. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us into how this applies to, to our lives here today and us as a church here today. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So immediately, it's easy to see, what we find here is Paul's addressing a specific set of circumstances in which the Corinthians were sinning in the Lord's Supper, in the way that they were taking the Lord's Supper. But also, you can see as we read through the text, as he addresses it for them and what they're doing, he gives them and us the true meaning and the importance of the Lord's Supper, the instituting of it and the warning of it. And he instructs this church how to observe the Lord's Supper. So as we begin, let's start first with just, just the situation in Corinth and get, a, get an understanding of what Paul is telling them and why. So in Corinth he says in the following instructions I don't commend you I do not commend you back in verse 2 of this chapter Paul said to the Corinthians I do commend you because of the way that you remember me and the way that you remember the things I taught you but here he says in these things I don't commend you because when you come together it's not for the better or for the it's not for the better but for the worse can you imagine this being read to the church when you're coming together, it's, it's, it's better if you just didn't even come together because of the way you guys are doing it. He says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you might be recognized. He says, look, there's, it's, better, he says, it's better that you don't even come together because when you do come together, there's division everywhere. He says, I don't commend you in the way that you're taking the Lord's Supper. And this is why. It's because you're not unified as a body of believers. There's divisions all among you. Now, disunity and division is not a new thing in the letter of 1 Corinthians. Paul's already admonished them several times sternly about their divisions and their factions and all of the things that were rampant among this church. But here he's going to show how these divisions, how these factions, are affecting the way that they're observing the Lord's Supper. And it's at this point, right in the beginning of the section, that we see the seriousness of this issue. In verse 19, he says, there must be factions because it reveals who's genuine and who's not. Do you see the implication of that? He's telling the Corinthians, there are some among you who are not genuine believers. There are some among you who are not genuine followers of Christ. So, yeah, there are factions among you. This division showing who's genuine and who's not. What a statement that is. Imagine this being read out to the congregation. There are some among you here who are not genuine believers, and these factions are revealing it. Yikes. And so he tells them the issue, and then he defines the problem for them in verse 20. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. For in eating, this is why, each one of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and the other gets drunk. He said, don't you have houses to eat and drink in? And then this is what you're doing when you're not waiting on the brethren, when you're not uh, understanding, discerning the body, seeing the unity of the church, doing this in love, in communion with one another, in communion with Christ. He says, what you're doing is despising the church of God. And you're humiliating those who have nothing. He says, am I going to commend you? And No, I'm not going to commend you in this. Now, in the early church, the Lord's Supper was always accompanied by a common meal. They called it the agape feast, the love feast. And the church all ate together, this this meal, this this love feast, and then then they took communion after the meal. They would pass around a single loaf of bread and each person would tear off a piece of their own, then pass around a single cup and each person would drink from a a, a common cup. But in, in Corinth... Some people were coming to this feast, and they were just eating what they brought without any concern for the rest of the church, any concern for their brothers and sisters. Many of the people, he says that you're humiliating, don't have anything. They were poor, or they were were slaves, uh, and they wouldn't come. They wouldn't bring as much, or they wouldn't come when the other people came. They had to come later after their work was done. Remember, Sunday wasn't a day off in the early church. And when they get there, the only thing you find is that the meal's over. All the food's gone. Even the elements for the Lord's Supper, gone. They're all taken. It was every man for himself in the Lord's Supper, the way that this church was doing it. And the communion, the, the Lord's Supper, was basically first come, first served. And the reality was that there was no communing happening at all among them. There was nothing loving about what they were doing. They were demonstrating their own selfishness and their own gluttony, not the unity of the church of Jesus Christ through this ordinance. They were demonstrating their lack of love for one another. Paul tells them, if this is how you're observing the Lord's Supper, don't even call it the Lord's Supper. It's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. It's your own supper. Paul says, this is an insult to Christ and the whole meaning of what the Lord's Supper is. The whole point is to be together as a body, communing with one another as we together are communing with Christ. So to correct this, Paul instructs them on what the purpose of the Lord's Supper is. He instructs them on how they too are to observe it, and he starts from the very beginning when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, and he shows us the meaning of the Supper. you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. <clears throat> Paul says, the instruction that I gave you about the Lord's Supper, I received it from Christ. He says, Jesus Himself commanded this. So observing the Lord's Supper, first and foremost, is a matter of obedience to Christ in the same way baptism is. It's a command that Jesus commanded His people to do. But it's also a communing With Jesus, on the night that He was betrayed, on the night that He was handed over, He took bread and He said, This is My body given for you. The Lord's Supper that we take today, that we partake of, that we we observe, is a continuation of the Last Supper that Jesus ate with those first disciples. The Lord invites us into this covenant meal. Which he began with the first disciples were invited to eat of his flesh and to drink of his blood. Now there's lots of there have been fights about communion and Lord's Supper for centuries. The body and blood of Jesus are not physically present in the taking of the Lord's Supper. And the bread and the cup don't turn into the body and the actual body and the actual blood of Christ. But Jesus nonetheless is present by the Holy Spirit. When the church comes together to receive the supper, we are meeting together with Christ spiritually in this covenant meal. We're communing with Christ in this covenant meal that anticipates the marriage supper of the Lamb that is to come. Taking communion, taking the Lord's Supper, listen very carefully, it doesn't impart salvation upon anyone. It doesn't bring you into the new covenant That comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But this supper is given for a purpose. Jesus made it clear to His disciples and to us that we receive this bread and this cup and we do it in remembrance of Him. We're called to remember His body that was given as a substitute in our place to remember that He gave Himself to receive the wrath that that my sins deserve, that your sins deserve. We're to remember that it was His blood poured out that brings us into this new covenant with God, that we are adopted into this new family, that we're brought into this new kingdom through this covenant by His blood. This remembrance that we're called to, it's not just a fond recollection that yes, this event happened and, and that's why we celebrate No, it is a a reorienting of our entire soul to Jesus as our priority. It's a turning of our our whole being to focus on who our Lord is, the God of all creation, who would bring us unto Himself. To focus on what He has done for us. It's, It's to remind ourselves of the price that He paid to secure our adoption. And the covenant that we've been given is to remind ourselves of what it means that today we are walking in the reality of the fact that we are in Christ. That we have been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Jesus lives through us and by faith we stand. So taking the Lord's Supper, we are to push everything else aside. We're to push aside all the things that we got to do next week. All the things that happened last week. Push aside all the things we're going to do this afternoon. huh? And to draw our hearts and minds to center upon Him. To remember His body and His blood. That, that bring us life. The Lord's Supper is a remembrance of Him. But the Lord's Supper is also... He tells us in verse 26, it's a proclamation that we're making. He says in verse 26, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. It's our declaration to the world and to each other in this room that our identity is found in Christ and no other. That our hope is found in Christ and no other. We proclaim that by His body and His blood we're saved and we are nourished and we are nurtured. And it is all that we need. We're proclaiming that that His death is the only full and perfect solution to the problem of sin and separation from a holy God. We're proclaiming our our devotion to Him as as Lord and our obedience to Him as Savior. We're proclaiming that together we're united in Christ. We're one body, one people. In, In the Lord's Supper, we're proclaiming that we belong to Him. And therefore, we belong to one another. And we make this proclamation, it says, until He comes. We're we're to proclaim this, that that we are His people, and that we are following Him, and that we are trusting Him and His salvation. And we're to do so as we look forward to His coming. Knowing that He will return and that all will be made perfect. And he says, Paul says, because of all these things, because, because it is His body that we are remembering, that it is His new covenant that was established in His blood, and, and because this is our proclamation and our focus, and this is what the Lord's Supper should be, because of, this, because of these things, we must come to this ordinance with seriousness and solemnity. We, we must come. Not casually, it's not a trivial thing. It's not to be presumed upon, it's not to be taken casually. And Paul makes this clear by giving them the warning of the Lord's Supper. Verse 27, he says, Whoever therefore, because of the things I just said, because, of the, because it is His body, He instituted, it's my body, this is my blood, do this in remembrance of me, this is a proclamation until He returns. Because of that, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. Paul says, To eat of the Lord's bread and the Lord's cup in an unworthy manner, results in being guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. I think the NIV captures it a little more clearly here, and it says that to do this, to take the supper in an unworthy manner, is to sin against the body and the blood of Christ. It is to make light of the gospel that we sang so wonderfully about. It is to treat the sacrifice of Christ with contempt. And so Paul tells everyone, everyone, to examine themselves. And only then, after the examination, to eat of the bread and the cup. Verse 29 says, he must, We must examine ourselves because anyone who takes this ordinance without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon themselves. That's a terrifying thought. So we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to discern the body? Because that's what this examination hinges on. What does it mean to discern the body in the Lord's Supper that we're about to take? Well, first, it means just what we talked about earlier, just to examine ourselves that we are remembering Christ, that we are focused upon Christ, that we're remembering the sacrifice given for us, understanding the meaning of this supper and what it represents. Discerning the body means we come to this covenant meal with Christ, demonstrating the reverence and the respect due to Him as Lord, as if you were coming into His presence. For you are. It's also remembering the gravity of what He's done for us. And secondly, I think Paul also intends us to discern the body as in the body being the church of Jesus Christ, the people that are around you. You see, the problem in Corinth was that they were not giving any thought to one another at all. There were divisions, there were resentments among the people in this church. So as they took the Lord's Supper, those with abundance were just doing their own thing. They were coming, they were eating their own thing without regard to honoring Christ by communing in Christ with their brothers and sisters. They were not waiting on each other. It was first come, first served. They were not giving any thought to being united in love with one another through Christ. So discerning the body is also discerning, in this context anyway... Recognizing our unity in Christ with one another. Understanding that that all of us together are united in the body of Christ. So understanding these things, what does it mean for us to examine ourselves and discern the body? Well, the first thing it means is to examine ourselves to make sure we're part of the body. This ordinance, this covenant meal, it's not meant for those who are not born again. It's not meant for those who are still enslaved to sin, who have no fruit of salvation in their life. It's not meant for those who have not entrusted their life to Christ. Parents, it's not meant for children who have not yet professed faith in Christ and followed that profession publicly with baptism. This is a covenant meal for those who are in covenant with Jesus Christ by grace through faith. It's for those who've received The new heart brought by the Holy Spirit imparted to you by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. For those who have professed that faith publicly in baptism. It's not safe for an unbeliever to receive the Lord's Supper. As we're learning through the book of Exodus on Wednesday nights, it's not safe to break through into the Lord's presence without a mediator. Without someone, a covenant head, one who bears righteousness, that can stand in between the sinner and God and say, I can bridge the gap between you. It's not safe. So just as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, we must examine ourselves to see whether we are of the faith. Is the evidence of the Spirit alive in your life? We're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about somebody who never sins. Then nobody's taking the supper. From the pulpit all the way to the back door. What we're talking about is the evidence that the Holy Spirit has changed your heart. Is the fruit of the Spirit a reality in your life? Do you have the heart that that desires Jesus? Desires to love Him? Desires to serve Him? Desires to follow Him? If you see no evidence of God's work in your heart in the new covenant that He promised, then this supper is not for you. And there's a warning In verse 29, that's for you. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. But secondly, believers who've been born again, we're also called to examine ourselves. We're also called to discern the body of Christ. We can't come to this communion meal, this covenant meal with unconfessed and undealt with sin. We must come before God in this with a conscience that is cleansed of sin. So it's a time to confess that sin before God. It's a time to confess those sins that maybe the Holy Spirit has been convicting us of and we've refused to deal with up until today. This is a time for repentance before the Lord. Time to pray as David did that God would search us and reveal any uncleanness. Understand... We, we do have a gospel, so we don't come with despair. All of us in this room have sinned, even, even today. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Have you done that perfectly all the way up to this moment? Since you got out of bed this morning, I would wager not. I know I haven't. We've all sinned. But thanks be to God, we have 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of that sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let us not come to the supper and say, well, I'm fine, everything's good. I'm... No, no, no. We need to come with solemnity. You know what solemnity is? Okay, we all do. All right, good. That's a, that's a big word for me. We need to come with reverence. We need to come understanding this is why we have the gospel, because we are sinners. It's a time of... For confession, a time of repentance, a time to examine ourselves, that we pray that God would reveal it in our own hearts, that He would reveal where I've become lazy or indifferent in how I'm following Him or how I'm loving His people. To come to this table with an unrepentant heart or an indifferent heart in how we're following Him or, or how we're how we're loving His people or how we're obeying His commands. To come to this table with an unrepentant heart or with sin permeating our lives is to sin against the body and the blood of Christ. The sin Paul rebukes in the Corinthians here was, it's easy to see, it was their gluttony, it was their refusal to love one another, their refusal to wait on one another, their refusal to be united with one another. So we all have things that the Holy Spirit's been convicting us of that we're thinking of right now, but also don't miss the context here. We must confess our sin against one another as well. We must reconcile our hearts to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We must love and forgive one another as we come to this meal, just as Christ has loved and forgiven us. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, He said that if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Gift. Make sure that you read that correctly. We we often read that with with eyes of what we think it means rather than what it says. And we say, well, I, I... I've searched my heart, I don't have anything against anybody, so I'm good. No, that's not what it says. It doesn't say, if you have anything against your brother, go and make it right. It says, if your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. You can't force reconciliation, but you can make an attempt of it. So Jesus says, don't even bother offering your offering until you're reconciled with your brother. That's incredibly important. We're to discern the body of Christ in who Jesus is and what He has done for us. But we're also to discern the body of Christ that's seated all around us. And we're to come to this table in communion with one another as we come in communion with Jesus Christ. This is deadly serious. To ignore the severity is to risk bringing judgment upon yourself. It said in verse 29, as we read, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. And he tells the Corinthians, That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. And then he says in verse 31, But if we judge ourselves truly, if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord... Believer, it's discipline. We are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. See what he's saying? If we refuse to judge our own sin, if we refuse to examine ourselves, if we refuse to condemn my sin. I'm not condemning your sin or that lady's sin or this guy's sin. I'm looking into my heart and condemning my own sin. I'm judging my sin. If we refuse to judge our own sin, to confess it before God, to repent of it and deal with it, to reconcile ourselves with one another in the body of Christ, he says, then God will deal with it. God disciplines His children. He will not let you go. He will not let you Believer who've been adopted into his family walk off into the pits of sin without coming with discipline because he loves you. Paul says if we judged ourselves truly, then God would not judge us. And then he defines what he means by this judging. Verse 32, it's discipline. It's a chastising meant to correct us. It's not a punishment, a punitive measure. your sin. It's a chastising meant to draw you away from it. Draw you away from the danger of it. It's a loving father bringing his child back the way that he should go. God will not let you go. He's talking to believers here about how they examine their own hearts. God will not let you go. He will keep you from wandering off into the sin that no longer defines you because you're in Christ. And this is what God does with every child of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6-8 through 8 says, For the Lord disciplines the ones He loves, and He chastises every son whom He receives. That's a quote from the Old Testament. And then it says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Discipline, church. (laughs) It's a blessing. Boy, but it don't feel like it at the time. But it's a grace of God. He will not let you go. He will not let you, little child, run out into traffic and not come get you. He will not let you walk away. Discipline isn't pleasant, but it is His love on display. So if you are without discipline as you continue just to walk in sin your entire life, you're not His child. If you can live in the pits of sin, wallowing in the mire, loving every minute of it, rejecting every command of Christ, giving no heed whatsoever to whether your life is being lived according to His will, you are not a believer. Now we all sin, we all have things we need to repent of, but if you are living your life not concerned about following Christ, serving Christ, obeying Christ, with no concern whatsoever, you are not a believer. You may say, Lord, Lord, here, and you may say, Lord, Lord, there, but when you see him face to face, he'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. So there's a warning here for the lost not to presume upon the Lord's Supper. And there's a warning here to the saved not to presume upon the Lord's Supper. Everyone, everyone must examine themselves, discerning and remembering the body of Christ in Jesus who brought us into this covenant and the body of Christ that is all around us. And Paul ends this section by telling the Corinthians what they need to do to observe the supper rightly. He says to them, So then, because I've told you how the supper was instituted, because I told you the meaning of the supper, and because I gave you the warning of the supper, he said, because of all that, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so when you come together it will not be for judgment. Of course, Paul is a, he, he's addressing a specific situation that we read about in Corinth. They were not loving one another. They were not honoring Christ. They were not waiting on one another. They were giving no concern to the poor and those with, with, without among them. They were just coming and they were eating and having their fill. And when people got there, the Lord's Supper's over. We already ate. Sorry. See you later. Paul is addressing the situation, but he calls them to do in their situation what we're called to do in ours, to repent of the sin that is permeating their lives in this. To repent of the sin, to turn from what they're doing. To stop this and start waiting on one another, loving one another as they come to the supper. They're to discern the body of Christ by loving those whom Jesus loves among them. And that principle is clear for us all. We are to repent of our sin. Whatever it is. We must examine ourselves as we commune in this supper with Jesus Christ that we're about to observe. We must examine ourselves about our sin against Christ and against what He has commanded us to do, but also our sin against one another. We are to prepare ourselves to receive His Supper, as we would prepare ourselves for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen, if today you knew, it's 5 till 12. If today you knew that at 12.30, this life for you would be over. Either in your death or that Jesus would return. 12.30 and you're at 12:30 today you're going to come face to face with the glory of the lord with the god of all creation in all of his holiness and all of his glory mount sinai shaking and earthquakes and thunder and lightning you're going to stand before the presence of the god of all creation how would you prepare how would you prepare yourself how would you pray would you, prepare, would you pray anything? How would you examine yourself if you knew today's the day I'm going to come into His presence? You are in the supper that the Lord has instituted for us. Let's come to this covenant meal with Christ with the same heart that we would prepare if we knew today is the day I was going to stand before the Shekinah glory of God at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, many of us today, we might be thinking, I've got got sin that I need to confess. In the first service, I told them, if you think that I'm standing up here behind this Bible, and I'm thinking, well, I got all my ducks in a row, and you're out of your mind. I have sin to confess just like you do. But let us come and examine ourselves. Let us come and stand in the one gospel that we have that Jesus gave, that we may come before God's presence, whether it's today is the day that Jesus is coming back and we stand before His glory, or whether it's we come together as one body in this supper and we can know for a fact that we can come into His presence with boldness before His holiness, not in fear, not in despair, not in worry or anxiety, because we do have the gospel. We do have the salvation that has been given. We do have a perfect righteousness that was given to us in which we stand by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that he paid my debt and nothing more is owed let's prepare our hearts today to receive this supper if we confess our sin he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so as we receive the supper Dave's going to come And let's pray and take a moment to prepare our hearts. God, we do love you today. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the truth of your word. And God, we come before you today repenting of our sin. Each one of us, God, you know personally. Each one of our lives, you know deeply. God, I pray right now that you would reveal to each one of us the areas in which we must confess before you the areas in which we must repent before you. God, we don't presume to know what the person's next to me's area is or what you're telling the person on the other side of the room. All I can know is my own heart. God, I pray that you would reveal to my heart. And as we take this moment, we pray that you would come and that you would be present among us as we prepare our hearts for you. God, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the body and blood that has washed away our sin, that has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for the death and resurrection of the Son which has given us the new covenant of peace which has written the law of God on our hearts. Thank you for the Spirit thank you, Spirit, for entering into us, for making your home with us, for coming to sup with us, for dwelling within us. God, and as we take this ordinance that you have given, we thank you for your communion with us in the gospel. And Lord, as everyone in this room has examined themselves, If there's anyone, God, that has any doubt whatsoever that they have entrusted their life to You, that they have given their heart to You, that they have trusted in the death and the resurrection of Jesus to save them from their sins, God, I pray You would reveal that to them now and they would call out upon You and they would realize that today is the day of salvation. They would call out upon You and trust in You, repenting of sin, understanding their need for a Savior and receiving that Savior by faith, trusting that Jesus died for me. God, You said that all who call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. We do love You and we thank You today. In Jesus' name, Amen. The two men are going to come and pray. If you have the bread and the cup on one side, there is the bread. Take that out and we'll all take it together. Angel, me in prayer. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this morning. I thank you, Lord God, for the blessings to be in this body of believers. Father God, that you brought us together, Lord God, for a purpose. Father God, to be your body until the day we celebrate, Lord God, your body, Father, that we, we take, Lord God. Yes. And Father God, you'd help us to be able to continue to grow together, to be able to serve you in new and deep ways, Lord, deeper ways, Lord God. And Father God, that um, we'd be able to honor you in all that we do. Mm-hmm. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Jesus said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. that night he took the cup so this is the new covenant in my blood we'll pray over this cup and take it together father we thank you for this time that remembered the great sacrifice that you made for us that we can have salvation that your blood covers our sin forgives us and it's not just a one-time thing. It, it is a one-time thing that we don't have to do over and over, but we do this in remembrance of your great sacrifice, that we can have salvation. And in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Jesus said, "This is the new, the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me." The night after they did the first Lord's supper, it says they. For they went to the garden, they sang, so today we're going to sing of how great our Lord is, and I'm going to stand right down front, if you want to pray, if you want to talk to me, if you want to know what it means to trust in Jesus, you come, will you stand with me?